you have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalms 139. Psalms 139. Uh, as we look at this passage this morning, uh, how to see God. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, uh, I would want, I'd hear people talk about seeing God and hearing God uh, and those kind of things. And I would try to close my eyes real tight and try to conjure up an image of God so that I could see him. And when I would hear passages like that, I, I wondered, how did I see him? In fact, as I've matured, I realize now that God is spirit, so he's not a physical being that we can see. Uh, but the reality of it is, is this, is that God wants us to see him. He wants us to see him move. He wants to see us to see him work. He wants us to see him make changes in our lives and the lives around us. But he cannot do that unless we have integrity of heart. Now, he can do it in others. And let me back up. He can do that, and he will be doing that. The question is, will we be recognizing it? Will we be a part of that process? Purity of heart. Integrity of heart. As we talk about that this morning, I think it's just such a crucial aspect. I think it's such a pivotal part of who we are, particularly as believers and followers of Christ. Brendan Manning, who is a popular author and speaker, says this. He says, um, you know, the greatest cause of atheism today is Christians who go and profess Jesus Christ with their mouths on Sunday and then walk out and deny him the rest of the week with their lives. Integrity of heart. Purity of heart. How does that occur? First of all, there's the recognition of, that God knows, that God sees our heart and that we're not fooling him. The Bible tells us in Psalms 139, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before, and you have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful too lofty for me to obtain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? And then skip down Psalms 139.23 as David is speaking here before God in the spirit and in the time of David's life when he is sensitive to the heart of God, when he is called a man after God's own heart. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me into the way everlasting. A great prayer that probably we need to pray each day. Search me, O God, and know my heart. God, convict me. Show me, am I missing something? God, bring this to the forefront of my heart. I want to deal with what creates a barrier between you and me. Test me, God. Test my heart. You know my thoughts. So many times we have motives and so many times we have ambitions that have nothing to do with God, but everything to do with us and with our own egos. See if there's any offensive way in me, God. Is this something that is attracting me to you and making your glory shine? Or is it something that repulses you and lead me into the way everlasting? A man got a spot on his suit before an important interview one day, and he saw a sign that said, One Hour Martinizing. 
one hour dry cleaning. And so he rushed in there and he said, I've got an appointment in two hours. I need this suit cleaned in one hour. I need it back. And the girl says, well, I can't do that. She goes, it'll be tomorrow before I can have it. He says, aren't you the one-hour cleaner? Isn't that your name? She goes, yeah, but that's just our name. We don't do that. Integrity of heart. What about your name? What does that equal? Does it equal some talk? Does it equal an image? Or does it equal what you say? We are primarily, primarily known by our integrity of heart. That's what our reputation is, in fact. That's how we're defined by others. You know, it's interesting for me as I go back, and I remember that when I was a child, uh, probably in my early teens, I thought, you know, I want to help out the church somehow. I want to teach kids or do something. And as I grew uh, in my last year of high school, my senior year, God began to put in my heart to, to help part-time, that I wanted to at least do that, go serve and help part-time on a staff and probably be bivocational, and I actually did that. I actually coached and taught school and was a part-time youth minister. And then after a while, I felt like God was calling me to, to do it full-time, and so I moved here and went to seminary. And I remember during those years, from the time I decided that I was going to begin to do ministry to the time I finished seminary, I had uh, two or three times people that I was working with. Uh, one in particular was a minister, and another was someone who was kind of taking me under their wing. People who were either ministers or had uh, positions within the church who made some horrific decisions, who just did some stupid things. And I remember struggling with that because, in a sense, I was looking at them to see God. Because I was thinking, this is how it's done. This is what God looks like or God desires for me to look like anyway. And I remember struggling with that and thinking, how does, how does that happen? How does that occur? And how am I supposed to see God when these kind of things happen? And as I grew, of course, God began to define to me that I was not going to see God in someone else, but that the truth of it is, is that, but by the grace of God, there go I. If I don't put some controls in my life, that could be me. Can I tell you this? None of those men, and, and one of them was a woman, none of those men, I, I believe, started off thinking, one day I'm going to have a fair, one day I'm going to steal money, one day uh, I'm going to break the law. I don't think any of them started off that way and said, you know, one day I'm going to do that. Can I tell you this? I think, I'm pretty sure, one of them I was praying with on a fairly regular basis they were all reading their Bible, I honestly believe, each day. They were reading their Bible, and I believe they were praying. So let me tell you this. Just because you're reading your Bible, that doesn't mean that you're necessarily growing spiritually and in integrity of heart. It doesn't mean that you, are, that you have a pure heart just because you read your Bible. Now let me tell you this. For you to grow spiritually, you're going to need to spend time in Scripture. But it doesn't guarantee that. I, and I can give you plenty of examples that... I would call out names and you would know of men who were reading and studying their Bible. But they took a pretty big fall. Just because I'm praying does not make me godly and spiritual. It does not mean I will have a pure heart. Like I said, I was praying with a couple of these men on a regular basis. I will say that I began to know, notice that a lot of prayer was more focused on them than on the heart of God. But they were praying. So... 
if it's possible for me to pray and to read my Bible and not have a pure heart, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, I want to talk about that this morning. I want us to investigate that because so many of us, we buy into Satan's uh, miscommunication, so to speak, or his deception that read my Bible, say my prayers, I'm good. And can I tell you, people leave their spouses and leave their families every day who read their Bibles and pray. I'm not here to judge the quality of their Bible study. I'm not here to judge the quality of their prayer life. But I'm telling you, they do it because I know some. Matter of fact, I, I met with a I met with a guy not long ago, uh, another minister, and uh, who doesn't live in this area, and we talked about some of the issues. And he said, "I was reading my Bible every day, and I was praying every day, and I still did this." What about you this morning? Can you pray that prayer? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and see if there be any wicked way in me. It's a prayer we all need to pray. Integrity of heart. That word integrity of heart, literally, it means this. Matter of fact, in the Old Testament, the word is uh, called uh, thum or thome. Uh, and we, matter of fact, get, maybe you're familiar with the, the thumbin, the urim and the thumbin. The urim and the thumbin. Uh, some would translate that, uh, the best that we can do today uh, would be lights and perfection. Uh, the, urim being the, the, the urim being the lights, uh, the thumbin or the thumb being the perfection. And uh, those were actually uh, a, I don't know a better way to say it than two tools. Many believe they were stones uh, that were given to the high priest to determine the will of God uh, pretty much from the time of Abraham until the destruction of the temple later on. And the way that it would work, uh, the supposed way that we think it worked, uh, the priest, the high priest would put on a, a breastplate. Matter of fact, there's an allusion in Ephesians 6 to the breastplate of righteousness. That's making an allusion to uh, uh, the breastplate that the priest would wear. And the high priest, it would have 12 stones on it, and each stone would represent uh, the nation of Israel, the tribes of Israel. Then there were two, we believe they were stones. Some think they might have been something else. Uh, but most scholars think they were probably stones, and they were called the Urim and the Thummim, lights and perfection. Matter of fact, if we retranslate, some scholars even now uh, go back and say the Urim uh, was the, the no, and the Thummim was the yes. So we're not really sure if they lit up, if they glowed, if a ray of light hit them or whatever, but uh, there would be a question that needed to be answered, whether they went into battle or whatever the situation was. Uh, many times that would be taken to a priest, that would be taken to the high priest. He would stand before the altar of God and put on the, the, the breastplate and then the Urim and the Thummim, whichever uh, God's response would, would like. We don't know exactly how it worked. We just know that it did work. Now, that word right there is first used, interestingly enough, in Genesis chapter 20. And I'm not going to ask you to turn there, but it's real interesting to me. I'm very intrigued by this. I don't even have a great answer for you. I'll just tell you right up front. Uh, but I, I'm intrigued by this story by Abimelech. Abraham, uh, as you remember, is following God. God has sent him and his family uh, on this journey, and he is to follow God. And on the way, he goes through uh, Abimelech's kingdom. He gets there, and Abraham is kind of shaken. He's kind of scared, kind of nervous, because his wife is very attractive. And he's a foreigner, 
in, uh, in another land. And it wasn't uncommon for kings, particularly if you're in their land, to just feel the right to take whatever they wanted. And so Abraham determined, you know what, the easy way for him to take my wife would be to kill me. So here's what he told Sarah. He said, Sarah, here's what I want you to do. If we're asked, particularly by an official, uh, you just tell him that you're my sister. I'm sure Sarah was much encouraged at this point in her marriage. And, uh, and so, sure enough, that's what occurs. Uh, Abimelech is told that uh, Sarah is Abraham's sister. So Abimelech has in his mind that he's going to take him into his harem. But what, what's interesting in Genesis chapter 20 is at that night he has a dream. And don't ask me to theologically explain this to you, because I believe Abimelech, we have every reason to believe he was a pagan, okay? Uh, he probably didn't, at least uh, wasn't worshiping uh, Yahweh, Jehovah God. But a dream, uh, God comes to him in a dream and says, uh, you're going to be killed if you take her. Basically, that's what he says. This is, not, uh, this is not his sister. This is the wife of Abraham, and you most certainly will die. And interestingly enough, Abimelech says, Within the integrity of my heart have I done this. I did not know, and I would not have done this, but with integrity of heart have I uh, sought to have her. And God, interestingly enough, says, I I know that. And because of your integrity, I will give you the opportunity uh, to not lose your kingdom, to not die. But if you proceed, that will surely happen. And so, you know, the rest of the story, he goes and says, hey, you told me this was your sister. Well, we were afraid, da-da-da-da. Get on out of here before you cause any more problems, okay? But what's interesting is God, even in the pagan, honored the integrity of his heart. Matter of fact, that's the first time we see the word thome, okay? Thuman or thoman that we use, that's the plural of the word thome, integrity. Matter of fact, it's the same word we have for integer in the Old Testament. Uh, when we think of an integer, we think of a whole number. The word integrity means whole, means complete. Wholeness of character, wholeness of heart, not divided as it speaks of in James chapter 1 as a double-minded man. So integrity of heart. We see that this is a huge deal to God. We see it mentioned 20 times in the Old Testament. Now, what is that? What is it, the integrity of heart? Well, I'll tell you what it is. It's the spirit that convicts us whenever we start to do or are in the process of doing something we shouldn't. Uh, I went to, my wife and I went to a movie a couple weeks ago, and while we were in that movie, we both looked at it and we became convicted, and it was like the, the purity of heart or the spirit was saying, get out of here. <laughs> this is not good for you to see. And so we got up and we walked out. It's that umpire that says, when we cross the line, foul. I mean, it's just like in basketball, when the whistle gets blown, the integrity of our heart, the purity of our heart, the spirit blows that whistle. And how much integrity has everything to do with how we respond? The purity of our heart has to do with will we respond? The problem is, a lot of times, that whistle gets blown and the foul gets called and we just go on. I'm just going to shuffle right on through. And here's a discouraging thought for you. Your pastor has a foul call on him every day. And a lot of times I just go right through that yellow light. It's like the light's yellow. It's pink. You know what I mean? It's not quite red. And I'm going to just zip on through and see if I can make it. And I think everything will be fine. And you know what that does? It begins to corrode the purity of my heart. Every time I say no to the Spirit. Every time I hear foul and I move on. What about you? 
Everyone in here in the last week has had a foul called on your heart. What do you do when that foul is called? What do you do when that conviction of heart comes? That's where purity of heart comes from. That's where it is demised. You see, integrity of heart is what keeps us sensitive to the Spirit. It's what keeps our heart soft. We all have that inner voice within us. The question is, what are we doing with it? Some of us numb it. Some of us look at things, listen to things. But the reality of it is, is how we respond when the Spirit speaks has everything to do with what our heart looks like. The Bible tells us in 1 Samuel 16, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks in and sees the heart. The heart. What does your heart look like today? In uh, 1 Kings chapter 9, we see the story of Solomon. And uh, we know David earlier has been called a man after God's own heart, but after much prosperity and after David going through a period of time where he stopped listening, he started just letting uh, the fowls be called and walk on through the door. Uh, we know that happened with Bathsheba. We know that happened multiple times. Then we see that the power, we see that the purity of heart began to diminish. And then we see Solomon, who starts off very well in First Kings chapter 9. And God speaks about if his heart will stay pure, if he will stay committed, how God will use him, how God will bless him, how God will work in the nation. And then we see how it starts off that way. And then you flip over a couple of chapters in 11, 1 Kings chapter 11. And we see that Solomon begins to take foreign wives, wives who did not know the Lord, wives who worshipped other gods. And we see the diminish, the diminish and the destruction that happens in Solomon's life. And then we see in his sons what occurs. As a matter of fact, under his son Rehoboam, what happens? The kingdom is split. It all goes back to the integrity of heart. It's not that Solomon didn't know. It's not that he didn't study. I don't even believe it probably wasn't because he prayed. It's because he quit listening to that spirit. It's because he became bigger or thought he could get away with it. Importance of integrity of heart. It defines who we are. When I say the name Billy Graham, what do you think of? I think of integrity. I could list other men's names. I could say Jim Baker, Jimmy Swaggart, um, Tilton. I can list all these other names. And we don't think of integrity of heart. We think of something else. We think of somebody who preached one thing and did another, even though we're all guilty of it. But when we think of Billy Graham, we think of a man, most of us do at least, who's not the greatest preacher in the world. And I know some of you, you know, because of nostalgia, you think he was. But the real truth of you sit there and listen. He's really a pretty simple preacher. He's just been faithful for over 60 years. Integrity of heart. That's why when I hear that name, respect automatically conjures in my mind. Integrity of heart. It's who we are when people think of us. Integrity of heart is this. It determines what you do. How pure your heart is determines what you do when the temptations and the compromises come against you? Have you come, become conditioned to just saying, I'll decide in muffling that voice of God that speaks to your heart? See, it is the barometer of your spiritual condition. 
Integrity of heart, purity of heart, it blesses me. Proverbs 27 says, The righteous man leads a blameless life, and blessed are his children after him. It judges me according to Job 31.6. Let God weigh me in honest scales, and he will know that I am blameless. It protects me, according to David in Psalms 25.21. May integrity and uprightness protect me because my hope is in you. My hope is in the purity of heart that you are creating in me, in the voice of God that is speaking to me. It guides me, according to Proverbs 11.20. The fruit of the righteousness is blameless, and he who wins soul, souls is wise. Sometimes people use that as an evangelistic text. And you can probably do that, but what it in essence is saying, he who wins people to righteousness, he who convicts people, he who converts people to what is right, to what is righteousness, is wise. It is your testimony. The purity of your heart, the integrity of your heart, it is your testimony. And what you say and what you claim, people will always run through the validity grid of the integrity of your word and your heart. It glorifies God when we listen to the umpire of our soul. Now, how does my heart become corrupted? I remember talking to a guy one time who, who uh, had made some mistakes, and he shared some things with me. And, uh, and I, I kind of put this in my mind, and here are three things he shared. You know, here's, here's a way, here's kind of what happened. Here's how I've seen in my life and this event and other events how I fall away. And here's three things uh, that was shared with me. Number one. This is what happens. You begin to take the grace of God lightly. You begin to presume upon the mercies of God. You begin to say, that's okay. God will forgive me. I'll just be all right. You know, I live under grace. I'm under grace. I'm covered. Matter of fact, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to ask forgiveness because the mercy of God is good. That's the first step. That's when you begin to corrupt the integrity of your heart. Number two is this. Number two is simply you no longer fear God. You no longer revere and fear Him. You think, I've gotten away with it several times. I'm in this addictive behavior. I'm in this sin and nothing's really happened. And subconsciously think, oh, it's okay. I mean, I'm sure lots of other people are doing other things. And so I no longer have a fear or reverence for God. Nothing's going to happen to me. And third, that leads to rebellion. Because we look up one day and we don't even hear the umpire of our soul. We don't even hear that voice that says, no, stop, back up, let's stop right now. Let's deal with this. Search my heart and know me, O oh God. Let's stop right here. That's how we get there. Now let's talk about what we can do to prevent that from happening or to progress from where we are. How can we begin to gain purity of heart. What can I do to gain purity of heart? Number one, pursue it. Seek first the kingdom of God. Begin to pray. Begin to read Scripture. To begin to seek and pursue purity of heart. Protect it. Be careful of what you watch. Be careful of where you find yourself engaging and what crowd you find you're engaging. I'm not saying... Get away from all people who don't know Christ. That's not what I'm saying. But there are certain times, there are certain venues, and there are certain environments that we know from past experience when we get in there, the conversation is going to take a hard left, and I'm probably going to go with it. Or they're going to be 
encourage me to do some things that will compromise the integrity of my heart. Pray for it. Ask God, as David said right here in Psalms 139.23, a great prayer for us to pray. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me into the way that's everlasting. And finally, practice it. Practice it. You know, you don't get a beautiful lawn or a great garden simply by pulling up weeds. I remember the first house I ever had. I was so cheap, and I didn't want to mess with any of it. Lived in this little duplex, and um, I would have, I mean, just these gargantuous weeds would grow up. And I'd go out, and I'd pull them, and then finally I broke down and bought some $3 weed killer, and I'd pull them up, or I'd spray them. And about two weeks later, it'd just be more, and I'd just get so aggravated. I thought, I'm just going to kill my whole yard so this, this stuff will quit happening. You know what the problem was? I never fertilized it. I never put any miracle grow on it. I never did anything to make the good grass grow. I just kept trying to kill the bad ones. And that, that just goes on forever. I mean, you never get there. For us to have purity of heart, for us to feed our heart, we not only have to deal with the junk and the weeds, we must cultivate and feed our heart the good things. Let's talk about some things we can feed our heart, some ways that we can cultivate our heart. Number one, accountability. Accountability. There are some cards back there in the back, and this is what I do with several men's groups, several men, uh, groups of men that I meet with. Uh, and they asked me these ten questions. Matter of fact, two weeks ago it, it worked out where we all met on the same time, and, and, and in two days I had had uh, I'd had these ten questions asked to me three times, so thirty times in forty-eight hours. I'm not suggesting you have to do that, uh, but I am suggesting that you look and you consider being accountable, particularly men, women too, but particularly men, be accountable. Now I want to give you a couple of resources that I think. Uh, and, to, and matter of fact, we have two of these in your bulletin. One of them is Pure Online. Pure Online. It's in your bulletin there. And uh, if you found yourself uh, dabbling in pornography or finding yourself caught in it, if you know someone else, children, daughter, it even has a, it even has a place for women whose husbands are struggling with it, children are struggling with it. That is a great reference. That is a great tool for you to go. And it actually will take you through a program online. Uh, so I encourage you to consider that. Uh, there's another one. I want you to be very careful how you put this in before you use it. It's called xxxchurch.com. xxxchurch.com. Okay? So make sure you get the church part in there. Okay? And uh, that is a software filtering system that is free of charge that you can use. And uh, matter of fact, uh, all the men on our staff, matter of fact, this last week I asked the women to put it on there too. And uh, what it does is it actually doesn't filter out anything. What it does is it sends it to two people that you designate, and they get to see what you've looked at if there's anything questionable. They don't actually get to see it. They get to find the, the websites uh, that you looked at. And so it's accountability. Uh, I really want to strongly encourage you, if you really are seeking the heart of God, to take that step. I want to encourage you on that little card, men, that you can mark on there, hey, I'd like to be accountable. I'd be willing to at least once a month and meet with a couple of other guys just to ask me these questions to make sure I'm on the straight and narrow to make sure I'm maintaining integrity of heart. Number two, biblical stewardship. You say, why stewardship? Well, Matthew 6, 21 tells us this. It says, for where your treasure is, there will be your heart. Where your treasure is. You know what it doesn't say? 
uh, it doesn't say where your heart is, there your treasure will be. You know what Jesus is saying? He said, whatever you find yourself spending the most energy in, the most of your resources in, that's where your heart is going to follow. It's just human nature. So biblical stewardship is another way of us giving God control of our hearts. Number three, confession, prayer, confessing before God. We read Psalms 139.23, another great scripture for us to quote and for us to confess is 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Confession of our sins. And by the way, this is A, B, C, D, E. I know Walter makes fun of me uh, when I do these. He does it too sometimes now. I think I've almost converted him. Uh, but I do these for uh, weak-minded people like me who can't remember them any other way. Uh, D is for devotion to Scripture. Devotion to Scripture. Second Timothy uh, 3, 5 says this. It says, study to show yourselves approved workmen that need not be ashamed. Second Timothy 2.15. Uh, begin to put your mind... Put Scripture in your mind. Begin to feed it with thoughts that are pure and are wholesome, that are of God, that He may transform our mind and our spirit. And then lastly, encouragement. Encouragement in service of others. Galatians 6 tells us to bear one another's burdens, thus fulfilling the law of Christ. Galatians 6 talks about how we are to confront those when they fall in a spirit of meekness. What about you this morning? What are you doing to cultivate your heart, to cultivate purity of heart? Let me tell you this. If we don't have integrity of heart, we don't have anything spiritually. We are not making an impact. God wants to use us, and it doesn't matter how many times we sin, where we've been, how much we know. He looks in and sees the heart, and he wants to use us, and he wants to grow us. But it is imperative that we learn to listen to that spirit, to that umpire, when it says foul, to recognize it, to become obedient. And that's why it's important that we have accountability.